Thank you, friends. We are in the fourth Sunday of Lent, and we've been focusing on what the Christian life is about, namely the idea of repentance. And I have to confess that the last few weeks have been pretty difficult for me. I don't, well, I am sometimes given over to a morose or even pessimistic type mentality. Even some of these passages have been very difficult for me to preach because it is very dark. It is very sad. It is really uh, painful to look at our own sinfulness and to just be there in repentance for weeks, as it were. And yet it's very good. It's good for us to reflect on our need of a Savior. So our tendency is to downplay our sin. Our tendency is to say that we've got issues instead of, I am in rebellion and I want you to pay homage to me. That That's really hard for us to do. We don't, we don't want to go there, but the season of Lent forces us to go there. The season of Lent forces us to ask ourselves, what kind of Savior do we want? We want a Savior who is powerful and strong and who will make everybody else look bad and make ourselves be able to say, look, I told you so. But Lent forces us to look at ourselves and say, it was my sin that put the Messiah on the cross. It was my sin that caused the Son of Man to be crucified for me. It was my sin that deserved death and condemnation. In a lot of ways, we can uh, make this season of repentance something that is a self-justifying work. I'm thinking primarily of, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Santiago de Compostela, but it is a pilgrimage that a lot of people make in Spain. And they crawl on their hands and their knees to Santiago de Compostela, to this, to this cathedral, in an effort to show that they are repentant. And uh, let me just read one account so you can kind of get a feel for, for what I'm trying to get at. It says, uh, Some people, some pilgrims, crawled for miles on their bleeding hands and knees. Others dragged cinder blocks and stones along the asphalt. Many arrived at the chapel exhausted and bleeding after excruciating treks barefoot on their knees or even dragging themselves along the ground. And many wore the traditional sackcloth of penitence. You see, too often, the season of Lent, the season of repentance, can forget that the Christian life is meant to be lived in repentance and faith. And so we start to put a lot of confidence in our repentance and how much I make myself repent and and be sorry for myself. But here, in John 3, Jesus gives us a glimmer of light. A glimmer of hope in the midst of the darkness. It is good to sit in the sackcloth of penitence. But here in John 3 we see that Jesus is saying, I want to pierce the darkness that you find yourself in, in reality, and I want to give you hope. I want to remind you of why you are repenting. Because the life that you are called to live is one of faith. One of putting your trust in someone else. And why do we do that? It's because of the love of God. The love of God. And I'm convinced that if we knew more of this love of God, if we knew more of this love of God, then we'd be a whole lot more courageous than we are. We'd be a lot less skeptical of the how the world is running. We'd be a whole lot less fearful of what others think about us. We'd be a lot less 
trying to make others give us the applause that we so earnestly desire, we would be a lot braver. Because if we understood that the Almighty, the infinite God of all creation, loves you particularly, how could you not be empowered to be courageous and brave? And so in an effort to hopefully get at this, I uh, want to share with you, uh, instead of the, the translation that I have in the bulletin, I wanted to forego that translation. You can look at it for reference. But in an effort to try to maybe hear this passage anew, I'm going to offer you my translation from the from the language to, to hopefully shake up some things. Because it's really easy to say, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and we can rattle it off. And it becomes just something that we don't really let saturate our hearts and speak to us. And so this morning, I pray that by His Spirit, God would cause you to hear these words anew. So this is John 3, 14 through 21. Just as Moses also lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so it is necessary that the Son of Man be lifted up, in order that all those believing on him may not be destroyed, but that they may have life eternal. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only begotten Son in order that all those believing on him may not be destroyed, but that they may have life eternal. For God did not send his Son into the world in order to condemn the world, but in order that the world would be saved through him. The ones believing on him aren't condemned. But the ones not believing are already condemned because they have not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness more than the light, for evil were their works. For the one who does evil works hates the light and he doesn't come toward the light so that his works won't be exposed. But the one who does the truth comes toward the light so that his works will be revealed because they are worked out in God. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would enlighten our eyes, that indeed you would pierce through the darkness in this time of repentance and that we would see that this life of repentance is also one of faith. We pray that by your Spirit you would convince us each of us more and more of your great love for us by giving your son Jesus. Father, we pray that we would leave this room different people than when we came in. And we pray that you would do this by the power of your spirit. Amen. As you think of some of your favorite love stories, what's one of the threads that runs through those love stories? Think about Romeo and Juliet who had an undying love for each other. Think of Bonnie and Clyde, uh, who had a, a devoted love towards each other. That may not be the best example. But you can think of Leonardo DiCaprio, or Bradley Cooper, or uh, Matthew McConaughey, if that's one of your uh, favorites. Um, think about that. This is one of the most frustrating things I have when I watch these romantic comedies. I, I actually enjoy them, um, confession here. But the problem is, is that those romantic comedies, Matthew McConaughey's you know, wonderful little suave lines and, and that little romantic moment, it always ends, doesn't it? 
The story always ends and the credits roll and then we realize, wow, Matthew McConaughey is still a sinner and he doesn't have his lines written out for him. And we realize that all of these stories, and I think if we have eyes to see, all of these stories of self-sacrifice, of looking out for another person, of being able to lay down your life for someone else, that's really the thread that runs throughout these romantic comedies. Is that this person is willing to walk, uh, what is it, 500 miles or 1,000 miles to be able to be near this person, right? I know that that song is going through your mind. That this person is willing to go to great lengths to be with the person, that's the, that's the essence of the love story. And these love stories are meant to be glimmers and glimpses and shadows of the greater love that God has for you particularly. That God has for me particularly. It was never meant... Like, so that, those, those, those feels that you get for love, those are meant to drive you towards a greater love. Where the credits don't roll and where the lines don't cease and where God in his infinite love will continue to tell you how much he loves you. And sometimes we get a little, if we're honest, even right now, some, some of us may be a little like, I don't, I don't like talking about how God loves me. I, it kind of makes me feel a little uneasy. Um, because in a lot of ways, I think, and I know in my own life, I like to operate on, on a me- mechanical view of if I do this, then God gives me this. But God will remind each of us, independent of your works, God loves you. He loves you. Let that sink in. And like I said, I think that if we understood God's love on a deep level, then we would be more courageous. We'd be more bold. We wouldn't be so fearful. We wouldn't be so uptight about life. But we would be able to open up our arms and say that God is working on your behalf because he loves you. He's not like a puppeteer trying to make you do something to make your life a living hell on earth. Rather, he wants you to understand that he is right there next to you and he is empowering you by his spirit so that you'll have eyes to see that the world around is, is full of His glory. It's full of His love for you. Do you, do, you, do you grasp that? That God loves you, period. No semicolon, no hyphen, no parenthesis. He loves you. You see, let's start out in the, the, the most famous verse, John 3.16, to kind of get at this idea of this whole passage. For... This is the way that God loved the world. This is the way. He gave His one and only Son. God loved the world. The word here is cosmos, which is where we get the word cosmos. Fancy, huh? Think about the entire created order. God loved His creation. A few weeks ago, we went to Roper Mountain Planetarium, and we saw this massive, huge telescope. And I asked the guy there, I said, how, how far out does that telescope see? Because we were looking at some star dust uh, out, and, I, and I, didn't, I thought maybe it was close to the moon. He said, no, 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 that's, that's over 1,000 light years away, this telescope that we see that's the eighth largest telescope apparently in the United States. At Roper Mountain Planetarium, go there to your uh, great delight. One light year, though, 
So this is a, over a thousand light years. One light year is 5.9 trillion miles. This is the eighth largest telescope. The biggest telescope in the world, I looked it up and Google told me that it can see 13 billion light years away, our most powerful telescope. And that is the edge of what we know. So consider this infinite God loves his creation that much. That expansive 13.2 billion light years away. And he loves all of that. He wraps his arms around 13.2 billion light years. I, I can't even do the math. Multiply that by 5.9 trillion and that's, that's what you get. The love of God is vast. It is immeasurable. In fact, the best thing that we can get at is imagine that you went to Charleston, went to the ocean, and then you took a boat out about 100 miles out, and then you just jumped in to the ocean. And then they just dropped you off, and, and there you were swimming in the ocean. You would drown. You, and, and yet the love of God is bigger still. It is enough to drown you. It is enough to immerse you. It is enough for you to swim in. It is enough for you to find all the buoyancy for your life in God's love. It's not just that he loves the world in some kind of ephemeral, metaphysical way. He actually loves the world by sending his son. God is not, and maybe some of us need to hear, that God is not scowling at you. He's not in a perpetual state of anger towards you for the sin that you committed this morning or last night or sometime this week. God's not looking at you and saying, why can't you get your stuff together? In the same way, think about Nineveh, one of the most wicked cities that God sent Jonah to. God pleaded with Nineveh. He said, will you not repent? I love you, Nineveh, wicked Assyrians. In the same way that as Israel was in the wilderness, God said, I love you, Israel, even though you are grumbling against me. God says to all those who are at enmity, who are at odds with Him, who hate Him, who decide that they want to do their own thing, you and I, God says, I love you, and I am going to come to you to wrap my arms around you, to let you know how much I love you. Who does Scripture say that God loved? Who does Scripture say that God loved? He didn't love really worthy people. He didn't wait for you to clean yourself up. As I hear, heard one preacher early in my Christian life, he said, God can't clean the fish that he doesn't catch. He's not looking for you to clean yourself up and throw you on his boat. God is at the work of initiating and coming to you because we can't clean ourselves up. Look at, look at verses 14 and 15. What, is G, what, what, do we, what do we see Jesus says? to This is actually to Nicodemus. He says, um, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes on him may have life eternal. Why was there a bronze serpent that was lifted up? Do you remember what, what Megan was reading a moment ago? The bronze serpent was lifted up because there were poisonous snakes that were biting the people of Israel. Why is that? Did they just come out of the come out of the sand and then we're, we're biting them? No. It's because Israel was murmuring against God. God had sent his judgment. And in the midst of that judgment, he said, I will have mercy on those who look to this serpent. While we were yet murmuring, Christ died for us. 
while we were yet sinners, while we were yet living on our own terms, while we were still saying, God, I don't care. And even now when we say to God, I don't want to live like you've told me to live. In the midst of that, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet weak, while we were yet having nothing to do with God, God says, I will come to you and I will initiate. I will be your Savior. I will love you with an everlasting love. How does Scripture say He loved us? How does Scripture say He loved us? It says, God so loved the world that He gave. He gave of Himself to you and to me. He didn't show you a a 10-step path to be able to become a better person. He gave His one and only Son. And it's really hard for us to grasp this um, honestly because God the Father loved God the Son from eternity past. Not only before you and I existed, but before the 13.2 billion light years of galaxy existed, God the Father was delighting in God the Son, and they loved each other with an immeasurable love. I've oftentimes said to my children that if one of them were to die, if one of them were to go away, part of me would die. And yet God, in His perfect love for His Son, sent His Son to die for you. For you. You see, God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit were totally happy without you or me. They were delighting in each other and yet He created you and me. And in light of that, in light of our rebellion, He sent His one and only Son that He loves immeasurably for you, for the covenant that we have broken, for the relationship that was ours to break. Because Jesus didn't merely come to be an example for us. He didn't merely come to say, here, this is what the perfect life looks like. But He came to be a ransom for many to die. That was the whole purpose in the Son coming. For who? For the unlovely. For the ungodly. And and for the ungodly, God gives God. God gives the very life of God. God gives Himself for you and me, the ungodly. Notice to whom this offer is made. Who is this offer made to? It's made to all those believing on Him. All, anyone, any person that bows their knees to Jesus can be saved. Anyone. Anyone. And someone may say, I'm too far gone, or that person is way too far gone to be saved. But we've lost the very essence of what Ephesians 2 had told us. While we were dead in our transgressions and sins, while we were the furthest away from God, God gave His Son. God came and plucked us out of that. And we've forgotten that the vastness of God's love includes all the cosmos. Includes those who seem to be far away. Can they go 13.2 billion light years away? No. Because God is there. 
The highest heavens cannot contain him, and the earth below cannot contain him. God is everywhere present to express and show his love to us ungodly. So friends, are you discouraged by your sin this morning? Are you thinking, man, I have done that, and God, I don't really want to talk about that. I don't want to share that. I don't want you into that darkness. God says, I already knew about it, and I loved you in that unforgivable sin. It's not unforgivable. Jesus on the cross reminds us that there is not. Unless we deny him, there is no unforgivable sin. Can you fathom that? The most wicked murderer, the adulterer, God says, I love you and I will die for that. Yeah, I will die for that. Don't be discouraged by your sin. Don't be discouraged by that little blight because God can overwhelm that. In fact, he can drown that in his love. Don't get discouraged about your own sin. Don't get discouraged about other people's sin either. Sure, there are some folks that we know that we love and that we're like, man, they're, they're never going to come to Jesus. I just remind you of where you were when Jesus came to you. Because that's right, they cannot come to Jesus. Jesus has to come to them. And so we pray and we ask God, Spirit, will you please open eyes? Will you unstop ears? Will you save them? And we are reminded that confessing and acknowledging our sin every day, that God will save anyone who comes to him. And he will not cast them out. He won't say, come back on another day. God says, no, come. Come to me. Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified, he said, Oh, that I were like a mother hen. I would gather you under my wings. The very ones who were, who were wanting to stone him. Jesus says, I love you, and I would bring you to myself. But you wouldn't come. See, the only way that someone is not going to come to God is through that pride that says, I don't need it. I got this. I don't need anything from you, God. That's the only thing that's going to keep someone from coming to God if they're relying on their own works. Ephesians 2 that we heard uh, James read a moment ago. But God being rich in mercy because, because of his great love which he loved us even though we were dead in transgressions. What did he do? Even though we were dead, he made us alive with Christ. You see, before Christ came to us, we loved the darkness more than the light, didn't we? We may not call it darkness, but it was. We loved our own deeds, our own way of living our lives, our own self-referencing life, we, our own thoughts, our words. The very orientation of all of our lives has been crooked and self-centered and turned in on itself. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved you and me, has given His Son Jesus. It's not just, hey, God loves you. No, he says, look at the cross. I love you. In reality, in truth, I love you. You aren't saved by your strength. You and I are not saved by our works. You and I are not saved because of anything that we have done. God doesn't come alongside and say, Hey, you're doing pretty good, Matt. Let me just tell you a little bit more of what you need to do. He says, no, I want to convert your heart. I want to change you from the inside out. That you are not just made better, you are saved. 
You're given life. Notice how this salvation is made real. What is, how is this salvation for anyone, what do they do? They believe. It's not too hard to believe. It's not hard, too hard to look. In fact, Jesus himself said that faith as small as a mustard seed can move a mountain. It's not the size of your faith. It's not the strength of your hands. It's the one in who you look. It's the one to whom you put your faith. So even the weakest faith, even the smallest amount of faith, God says, I can use that, and I can multiply, and I can move a mountain. I can move a mountain. Not you. I. And God says to us, all you have to do is reach out. And touch the outer hem of my garment and you will be saved. You will be healed. But maybe some of you don't feel like you have enough strength because of that sin and you want to keep your hands pulled in and you're like, I I can't reach out, God. I can't reach out and touch the hem of your garment because I've done that. I'm too far gone. I keep battling with the same stinking sin every day, every week. I can't reach out and touch your garment. And Jesus says, that's okay. If you'll but look to me. You don't have to reach out. Just look to me and you'll be saved. Look to the Son who is lifted up and says, I love you. And you'll be saved. You don't have to stretch out your arm. You just have to look away from yourself and towards Jesus. You don't have to bring any strength. You don't have to get your act together. Jesus says, look. (coughs) Jesus says, look to the one who took the initiative in this cosmic redemption to save you. God is about the work because he loves his cosmos and because he loves you that he's going to take the initiative. My friends, be overwhelmed by his deep affection for you. Drown in the sea of that love. He didn't wait for you to come to him. He sent his son. He gave his son. It's not a reciprocal Christmas gift. He gave his son freely to you and he didn't send his son to condemn you he didn't send his son to wag his finger at you he sent him to draw you out of the miry clay to set your feet on a rock to pull you out you see it's not merely though this is the beauty of our salvation is that God merely just wants you to look up and that's the end of it He doesn't just extend the scepter out to you and you touch the scepter and he says, okay, I'll I'll forgive you because I have to. This is what I do. It's my job. I I have to save you. God's not holding out a scepter for you to come to and he's unwillingly forgiving you. In fact, he comes to you and he will wrap his very cloak around you and he puts his ring on your finger and he says, you are mine. All that I have, all that the Son has won on your behalf is yours. 
This cosmic love that I have for the Son is yours. The infinite God is on your behalf, working in His strength for you. And He's saying, what my Son has is yours. All of it. Enter into the joy of your Master. Because look at the end of our passage in verse 21. We approach the light so that our deeds can be seen because they're done in God. This is going back to what Jesus was saying in the uh, Gospels. That those who do good works give glory to their Father in Heaven. That's so other people, they see them and it's not like, wow, look at how awesome Matt is. He really loves people. He really lays down his life. No, it's so that those works of self-sacrifice point to Jesus. Those are done in God for His glory not for ours. Because God doesn't just want to hold His nose and let you come in the room and He puts you in a corner. He doesn't turn His face away. He looks you full in the face and He says, I love you. And I accept you right now. And even before that, I accepted you and I loved you. He raises us with the perfect Son the perfect King Jesus. And he says, this, all this inheritance is yours. And you know what's beautiful about this? Is that by the power of God's Spirit that he freely gives to you and to me, God promises to make you who he intended for you to be. Unbroken by sin, unshattered but put together, put together as a, as a person that people look at and say, wow, that, that person is different than they were. It's not just about, hey, I walked down an aisle and I made a decision, I signed a card. No, God says, I want all of you. I want beginning to the end of your life and beyond that. I want to make you into a new creature that looks, smells, acts differently than what you were. See, from before the cosmos, in all its vastness was created, God knew that he would send his son to you, to love you, to give his very life to you. Does that not overwhelm you with courage? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the gospel. The gospel is not just, I just want to save you from hell, but he says, I want to give you everything that my son has with me from eternity past, and I give it to you freely. Yeah, you're going to mess up, but it's still yours in Christ by the Spirit. So are you burdened this morning? Are you weighed down? Did you say something this morning that you wish you wouldn't have said? Did you do something this week that you wish you wouldn't have done? Are you hung up on that one particular sin? God would say, come to me. Come to me. Come under the shadow of my wings and I will gather you like a mother hen and I will give you strength. And it's not the strength that you bring to the table. By my spirit, I will give you the strength to be the kind of person that I intended for you to be. Are you lacking courage this morning? Boldness, bravery. My friends, He 
traverse not just the expanse of the entire universe, but the infinite distance between you and I to the infinite, perfect, holy, brightest star, the star that is brighter than the sun, he traversed that distance of infinite length to come to you, to save you, to give you life, to give it to you abundantly. And so how can you not leap over any wall that you've built around yourself? How can you not take the feet of a deer and climb on the highest heights? Because the God of the universe, the infinite God, is for you. He's not against you. He is not to condemn you. He wants to give life to you because he loves you. And are you lacking in faith this morning? Are you wavering? I think God would say to you, faith as small as a mustard seed, and I can move the mountain for you. Because I've given you my very son. How will I not with him give you all things? My friends, God loves you. God loves you from before the foundation of the world. And in the midst of this season of repentance, in this midst of, don't look too long at the inner recesses of your heart is what this passage is telling us. Don't stay there because you will drown in your own sin. Because you will try to fix it. You will try to bring light to the dark crevices. And God says, look to the, look to the sun. Look to the sun. Remember that the life of the Christian is a life of repentance and faith. So friends, I don't know what all that God is doing, but I think one of the greatest applications that we can make is to say to ourselves that God loves me. So I'd like for us to take a few moments and uh, you can write in your bulletin, you can just pray. Just a few moments of silence before we come to the Lord's table and before we sing our our hymn of response. I'd like for us to just take a, a few moments to just say, Lord, convince me of that love by your Spirit. Give me the boldness that I don't have. Give me the courage. Give me the wherewithal and the confidence that you love me and that you would travel the entire expanse of the cosmos for me.